Hello and welcome to episode 386 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox. We're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to be LSAT famous, share some news and ask some questions, you can do so on our website. That's thinkinglsat.com. This will air on Monday, January 23rd. Uh, the LSAT test dates for 2023 and 2024 just got just came out. Yeah, anything, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's anything there? new or surprising, but it is nice to have them. Yeah, we know that there is going to be an August, September, October and November test this year. So four new tests announced in 2023 yep. and four tests uh, in 2024. So that's January, February, April and June. OK, it so it changes like slightly, but I don't know that it's really any super big news there. They haven't announced registration deadlines or score release dates for those tests, but who cares about those things? So, yeah, it's just we've got fall tests now to plan for. The, the point that we can make here is that with these new test dates. Now, students can, if they want, plan to take it five times in calendar year 2023, you can take the LSAT five times in calendar year 2023. Yep. That's kind of news because the way they announce it or the way they always talk about it, they're, they're talking about these cycles. So people, you know what? I bet people latch onto this. Like they look at the web page, they look at the, the list of test dates from LSAC and they're like, that's my list. Yep. I'm in this cycle. And then they get like attached to those dates and what we should be thinking about is, no, no, this is a continuous thing. There's always like eight LSATs per year. They're going to roughly be in these same time buckets. That yeah. is nothing's much changing there lately. And because of the magical cycle reset that happens before the August test, because they think in cycles and the rules are written as three times per cycle, because of that, there is this little you could call it a hack even right i mean it is kind of like oh this one little trick will allow you to take it five times yep because you can yep. take it three times before august so for example you take it february april june yep you're in the old cycle so you've taken your maximum number of times in a cycle you took it three times in the 2022 to 2023 cycle yep and then you can take it two more times, starting with the August 2023 test, because that's the first test of the new cycle and yep. the September 2023 test, which is the second test of the new cycle. And you're yep. still going to be able to apply. Well, that September test, you know, not optimal because the admissions window is already open and you're not going to be able to apply until like first of October. How bad is that? Really? We don't know. But if that was your fifth attempt at the test, you know, it's your backup to your backup to your backup. Well, let's assume that uh, after your fourth attempt or your third attempt, you have a score that you're very confident that you can apply with and get scholarships. It still doesn't hurt to take it two more right. times. What if it goes up more? So well, and um, then the same goes for the October test and the November test and whenever, right? It, we need yeah. to be really thinking about this as more of a continuous thing. But the the trick, the the tip for students is that you get to fire three bullets in one of these, let's say, August to July cycles. Yeah. And then come the August test, it resets. And so you now have a new 
Now you're under the five times in five cycles rule. Yeah. You have two more shots. I, you know, one thing we do talk about applying early all the time and that's important, but I don't want that to overshadow the importance of just getting the best damn score you can get and yes. and not, not letting that compromise you. You're like, Oh, well, I've, I've got to get it in by September 1st. So I'm not going to take the September LSAT. It's like, no order of operations here, get the best GPA you can get, get the best LSAT you can get and then apply early. But the LSAT score, that's what matters. Yeah, you got to get the you got to get your your grades have to be sorted out first. And maybe that just means, well, I graduated from college a million years ago and that ship has sailed. OK, fine. Yep. LSAT is next, though. And you got to you got to take care of the LSAT before you move on to the next step, which is apply. And yep. we want LSAT. We really want LSAT to be done or virtually done. Ben, you brought up the idea of, well, I've already taken it a few times and I've got some pretty good scores on record, but I think I can do better. So, you know, at that point, maybe you can then apply, but also be retaking the test. Because mm-hmm. going up is going to help you going down. It's not going to do anything, especially right. in the US. Yep. Yeah. They only care about your highest score. Yeah. So we really, we do the more we talk about these cycles, the more it gets people like caught up in this. Well, okay, but I'm applying this year mindset, which doesn't make any sense. But we do have to deal with the fact that LSAC announces their tests in cycles. And so we have now we have tests now scheduled all the way out through June of 2024. Yep. And I guess next January they'll be announcing we can expect that they will probably be announcing this, the next slate, the next 12 months worth of dates. All right. Anything more about the, the test dates? Nope. This next What's thing this here thing? is, yeah, it's from Sam Harris and I'm, I'm paraphrasing him because I actually just heard him say this and I, I don't know exactly what he said verbatim, but the idea was that your most valuable asset asset isn't your time. It's your attention. And we talk about how your most valuable asset is your time all the time on the podcast. And I couldn't agree more, but when I heard this, I was like, oh yeah, this is the next level, right? You can dedicate your time. You can allocate your time to certain activities. You can allocate it to studying. You can allocate it to going to class. You can allocate it to um, Netflix, whatever it is you allocate your time to. But really it's not just about, sitting in front of the computer studying, it's what are you focusing on, right? It's what are you giving your attention to during that time? So if you're studying and your attention is being pulled away by your cat, which you've talked about before, you're really not, I mean, you're really not giving your time. You, You may feel like you are because you've set aside time to study and you're sitting in front of your computer studying, but it's your attention that really is so valuable. And he, I think he was talking about it in the context of, you know, parents who are hanging out with their kids, but they're really on their phone. <laughs> Your attention really isn't going to what you've. The phone is going to, is the obvious culprit. I mean, the very first thing I thought about was like, I'm playing golf with my buddies, but mm-hmm. I'm doing work stuff on my phone. Yep. Or whatever, you know? And it's like, well, okay, you're making a choice there, right? I don't, not meaning to criticize myself, but 
to just be aware of that that's happening and then yeah. maybe make some decisions about how you really want to focus, not just your time, but actually your, yeah, your attention. Yeah. You mentioned, um, become aware of that or something like that. And that reminded yeah. me of something that he said. He said, one of the first steps he's trying to get people to when they start meditating is just being able to become aware of what you're paying attention to. So uh, th there's this place that people are in their lives where they're, they're not aware of what they're thinking about or focusing on or doing. I mean, they, they are, of course, on some level, you're, you're living your life. You're aware of the fact that you're watching TV, but they're not explicitly or openly aware of the fact that you can pause and think about what you're paying attention to. Yeah. And, and getting to that point where you're going from kind of just living moment to moment, being dragged around by whatever is happening in your life to a point where you can now consciously decide, wait a sec, I am thinking about this thing because this person bugged me or whatever, or a positive thing that happened. Do yep. I want to be doing that? That's a skill that people can develop and it can become immensely valuable on the test. Think about how many times people are thinking about, oh, I have to finish or oh, I'm not doing very well on this or my last test score was lower than I liked. Like, okay, you know what? You can become aware of those thoughts that are coming into your head. And then once you get good at becoming aware of what you're thinking about, then you can start becoming better at deciding whether you want to continue down that train of thought or go in a different direction. Like, mm, what question am I working on? Yeah, it's becoming the observer of your own thoughts. Instead of being carried, constantly carried away by your own thoughts, you learn to sometimes get off of the train yep. and just notice like, oh, wow. And we all have these moments all the time where it's like, all wait, time, I constantly. was doing that thing. And I next thing I know, I'm in a different room doing different, you know, for a lot of people, it's like I'm standing in front of the refrigerator and it's like that realization where it's like, wait, what? What am I doing? I was doing something. And then I'm on this other weird autopilot. That happens to me all the time when I pick up my phone. It's like I'm going to check. Oh, that's the worst. Right. I'm going to check uh, what I'm waiting for a response from my wife. What did she say? And I'm going to look for that. And I see, I don't know, something else catches my attention. And it's it's the the scary thing is that you're not even consciously aware of that derailment. Right. You're going off on some other path. You're going down that path. And then five minutes later, it's like, wait, oh, <laughs> this is why I went to my phone in the first place. Or this is why I went to the kitchen in the first place. Right. You're talking about yeah. opening the fridge. The phone is the worst. I mean, the phone itself and all of the apps on the phone are designed yep. to suck your attention. That's like their whole goal is to yep. just keep you looking at it. Yeah. And so that's the worst. Like, um, avoid that as much as possible. Turn your phone off. Um, I still like my niece's tip about turning the phone onto grayscale. I should probably give myself a dose of that. What's that? I don't know. Grayscale. Yeah. I, Apple, if you go into the accessibility settings, um, yeah. you can, where the colored pencils appear, if you've ever seen that screen of all the colored pencils, okay. you can turn it to grayscale. Hmm. And all of a sudden your phone still has full function. It just has everything happening in grays instead of the candy color, like dopamine bomb. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, they, hi, I, Apple doesn't make it easy for you to find it. 
<laughs> um, it makes me suggest to me that they like know exactly what effect that has on your brain. Yeah. Maybe eventually they'll get on board with it though. Cause it, it, I do think we have a, a potential like crisis, right. Of, of mental health or like this, it seems like a crisis of attention we could call it. Yeah. Where people are just so sucked into Instagram or whatever, you know, like people scrolling their phone and they're like, Hey, look at the, look at the <laughs> <laughs> dumb, whatever, you know? Yeah. It's like a weird version of 1984. It's all through the free market. It's not like imposed upon us by some <laughs> cruel, yeah. you know, a government agency. It's more like these private entities that are just trying to make money, but it's the way to do it is to pull you in and we're all becoming dumber for it. I mean, really. Yeah. I am loving meditation. I've, I've still been solidly doing my 10 minutes a day and, uh, I'm not a Sam Harris guy. I'm a calm app guy, mm. but, uh, either way, I mean, it's just like that, that taking 10 minutes aside to, to think about how your brain is working or just learn how your brain is working and notice mm -hmm. that there's this like executive you who's capable of thinking about things on this, uh, like who is capable of noticing the emotions. Yeah. And it's not to say you're not going to feel those emotions, but you're going to just sort of like be able to acknowledge them and then you can indulge them if you like, but you also have the option of, of saying, Oh, I see what that is. I'm going to go back to doing this other thing. You just kind of learn how to control your attention and then you see how your attention just completely changes your experience. Yeah. What you focus on makes a big difference, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's fairly, you know, like watch a puppy video on YouTube, you know, pay attention to it. Yeah. You're going to like feel a thing, right? Yeah. You're choosing to do that. If you choose to watch the fucking news, on the <laughs> other hand. Yeah. I mean, then now you're just like, well, this is all the worst of humanity and I'm going to, I'm going to wallow in it. Yeah. Up, up, up to you to decide what you want to choose, what, what you want to pay attention to. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, I think the application to the LSAT is abundantly clear. Yeah. Both in terms of studying, in terms of while you're taking the actual test, Becoming a master of your own mind is just applicable to essentially everything. Well, what, I think it'll just it make you a applicable? happier person. Yeah. yeah. You, you'll just be better. You'll be better at everything. Years ago, when I dabbled a little bit, I was like, whoa, this feels like sort of cheating at life. Like, it's just that easy. Yeah. And it really kind of, I mean, people, I think they bounce off of meditation because they, they're like, I'm not doing it right. Yeah. Well, they come into it with different goals too, right? Like they have a specific goal and then they're trying to decide whether that's helping them achieve that goal or not. And it's like, wait, you're kind of missing a bigger picture here. And that is your ability to, I mean, Sam compares it to the ability to read, right? If you, if, yeah. you're, if you go from being illiterate to literate, things change dramatically for you. Well, you're illiterate when it comes to understanding or reading your own mind. I think the name of his app is pretty good. Yeah. For, for waking up, you know, it's like the, it is this and we all fall back asleep. We we all get carried away. It'll happen to me dozens of times during this podcast. Yep. Yeah. You you just you, you get back on, you, you wake back up or mm -hmm. you return to, you know, your 
focus, whatever that is. And yeah. you just sort of, you just sort of catch yourself like, oh yeah, there I go again. Okay, cool. No problem. Back to here. Back to here. Cool. Thanks for uh, listening to that and adding to it. This first email here or the submission is from Anonymous. The subject is LSAC 2023 cycle data. I've never heard you mention the LSAC year to date application data on your podcast. So I wanted to make you aware of it. I mean, we've seen this before, right, Ben? Thank you for sending this in, Anonymous, but we have covered these things in the past. Okay. Can all websites just default to only necessary cookies? Do we have to get a <laughs> net, do we have to have a cookies choice every time? Like Oh yeah, like let to, me share everything with you that Yeah, well I'm sure Who does that? I'm sure tons of people do. They don't even read it. Talking about attention, right? They just see the, they just the click blue yes. button. You're like, yeah, yeah, get out of the way. I want to get okay. to my information. Can I have you also give me your credit card? Yeah. Oh, nice. Social yeah. security number. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Year-to-date U.S. applicants from region slash state of permanent residence. Oh, wow. Okay, so this, is, this whole thing has a lot. Hmm. This is like looking at the rainfall totals. <laughs> yeah, it's got... Okay, so total applicants year over year down 4.2%. Okay. Applicants LSAT scores. What? How are there different numbers in those tables? One of the tables is dividing it applicants by region. Yep. The other table is dividing applicants by LSAT scores. Shouldn't there be the same number of students at each table? There must be something I'm missing. I just find it wildly frustrating. Yeah, that is bizarre. I guess people aren't applying with LSATs. There there you go, right? GRE? Oh, yeah, duh. Okay, I think that's a full... Yes, I think that, that is a sufficient explanation for me. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I'm no longer... So, <laughs> gender identity does match up. So, the number of applicants matches up to the number of people who have identified some sort of Okay, gender. so we do know that that is applicants. Okay, so there are people applying without the LSAT. Sorry. Well, no, it goes to show my blind spot of thinking that yeah. the LSAT is everything. I'm failing yeah. to acknowledge that there are actually... It looks like 1.7% of applicants without okay. LSAT scores. So Okay. That's going to be a rare, uh, rare occurrence where you probably already took the GRE and then decided in retrospect, ah, I should go to law school instead. That's the only time that that really seems to make sense to me. I, I do find this interesting. So there's 35,000 applicants um, from last year. There's 33 from the current year. Uh, there's about 100 or so attempts at the LSAT every year. So that does show that people are taking it multiple times. That's not surprising. I was just, you know. It's, it's, it's a lot higher than the number of applicants. There's also fewer people who, there are a lot of people who take the LSAT and never apply. So that would explain the difference. I'm going to go back to this email. Um, it says, I believe they update this data daily. One thing that concerns me is that 170 plus applicants to this cycle make up over 14% of the applicants. But it's my understanding that a 170 is attained by about 6% of test takers. And 175 plus scores make up over 3.5% of applicants. And I believe 175 plus is a 99th percentile score. Yes, it is. Yeah, a well, we can, we can stop score. right there. Yeah. The problem is, is that the number of people who take the test is greater than the number of people who apply. And of course, you're going to have a bias. The higher you get on the LSAT, the more likely it is that you're going to exercise that option to apply. 
Right. Like almost everybody who scores in the 170s is going to apply to law school. Almost nobody who scores in the 120s is going to apply to law school. Exactly. So it's like the really you just kind of double the top half of the curve. Yep. Right. Those are I the mean, people applying. Yeah. We, yeah. Well, we would never advise anybody with less than a 150. I mean, we've said many times on the show that really our number for should you or should you not go we really think that you should eventually be able to achieve a 160. And if not, it's just hard to see how it, it's going to be a, a good value for you to purchase a $300,000 JD. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you're below that, the presumption becomes a much greater that you should be going for free. Like if you're not going for free below 160. Yeah. And we do have problem. a horror story, one of many horror stories, but we have one coming up later in that article that, that mm. uh, we, we found. Yep. So, all right. So, yeah. So first of all, anonymous, well, you need to realize that everybody on the high end applies. I mean, and that 14% and that 6%, that's like roughly 50%. It's almost like my thing of fold the curve exactly in half or whatever it yep. is, like double, you double the top of the curve. That's all those people are applying. Yep. So you shouldn't worry about the well oh this person actually seems to know that look at their next sentence oh they do figure it out so high scores are overrepresented in the applicant pool probably because all those people with bad scores don't apply yes one more reason to get as high a score as possible since getting a 99th percentile lsat score only puts you in the top 96.5 percent of the applicants you, that is a good way to think about it i guess i've never yep. sort of made that explicit but i yeah that's true I saw Ben, your head was shaking with recognition there, like going, yep, that's uh, that's actually a pearl kind of right. Like that's one yeah. that we'll remember and say in class is that yeah. 99th percentile is really only 96.5% of the applicants. Yeah, that's true. You're given a score that's telling you, hey, you're in the top 3%. It's like of test takers, but yeah. how about of applicants? Yeah. I won't say 96.5%. I'll probably say 98th. I think that's just a good rule of thumb, right? It's like double the percentage. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, anonymous continues. Oh, and for those who want to apply late, over 30,000 people have already applied right now in the cycle. So you can tell how many people have applied in the cycle and they think that this is updated every single day. I would be shocked if that were true. I mean, if, if it's run by an API, then I guess it could be. Is the, is the API generating this weird graphic? I guess it is. Yeah, because all it, all it does is it's probably pulling the data from uh, CAS, right? I think yeah. it is because it takes forever to load. Yeah. I just refreshed it and it's still refreshing. Now it's okay. Now we have the, the, the bulk of the page up, but it's refreshing all the little windows. Oh, that's a bummer because I, now I can't look at the numbers while it does this. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, 30,000 people have applied year to date. Okay. This is a question here, Ben is LSAT.link forward slash index kept up to date. I find that index data interesting, but it looks like it might be a few years old. Perens, I see Thomas Jefferson law on it. Uh, we released this and no, we have not updated it since. So this is just some old thing. I wonder if we should. Oh, we were just, yeah, yeah, no, that's, in fact, we should probably take this down. Or just say that it's from this year, from that, from whatever year we made it. Because people will find it from the old 
And the point is still true, right? So can I just edit this data right now? When did you do <laughs> what this? am I going to say? Not up to date. <laughs> Updated 2020. I think that's when we did it. Updated 2020. There we go. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Fixed. Okay, perfect. Ta-da. Thank you, Anonymous. Yeah. Thank you, Anonymous. And thank you for that pearl of a different way of uh, thinking about the percentiles. You know, because people do go like, well, wait, I have a 170. Really? Why do I need to take it again? And I'm like, well, your practice test scores were all the way up into the mid high 170s. Yeah, I know, but it's one set. You know, people think that 170 or whatever round number matters. But yeah, it's true that like 99th percentile ain't what it used to be. Or it probably never was because all the 99th percentile scorers are going to apply, whereas none of the first percentile scorers are going to apply. So it just shouldn't be surprising that that's not that rare in the actual applicant pool. Hey, can we talk about this 30,000 people for a second? Last year, 35,000 people applied overall. This is January 17th as of this recording, and 30,000 people have already applied this year. That sounds like the bulk of those who will apply. So obviously January, February is just way too late. Yeah, you're you're at the tail end. You're in the last 5,000, 3,000 yeah. people who are applying. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's you don't want to be in the dregs. I mean, we talked about the the testing opportunities earlier in the show. Yeah. It's like you're doing everything wrong if you're trying to squeeze in an application right now because you're at the perfect time in the cycle for the next application. You start studying now, you start taking the LSAT in the next few months, you then get five bites at the apple potentially and still have your applications in in plenty of time for next cycle. Yeah. Next year. Okay, cool. This next one. Oh, this was just an update that came in. You want to read it? Yeah. Happy New Year. I just wanted to pass along some admissions updates. So far, I'm five for five with acceptances in order from William & Mary, UCLA, University of Miami, University of Michigan, and George Washington. I had an interview with Georgetown in December and should be hearing back any day now. I got an email today from Michigan informing me that I've been selected to receive a Dean's Scholarship of 50,000 per year. I'm very curious what you have to pay with out of state tuition around (laughs) (laughs) $69,000. That number is just so astronomical. Yeah. With an out of state tuition around $69,000, I'd pay around 19K per year. I was pleasantly surprised to see this. The scholarship estimator predicted I have a less than half, I'd get a less than half scholarship with my 3.87 and my 171. Maybe this is a less competitive cycle. The Dean included a personalized note in my acceptance letter. Your essays were very well done, exclamation point. Maybe admissions at, admissions at Michigan are more, quote, holistic, question mark? You want to hear my hypothesis? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, go for it. The dean wrote that in every single one of the offers. Or not maybe every single one, but like, you know, just sort of wrote. I can see it being these little. Oh, yeah. Just like, hey, look, that's probably right at their median, right? Or one point above their median. Yeah. 171 or their projected meet because right now they know their projected median probably for next year like they're able to start assessing it right if they have it 
80, 90% of the applications in, then mm-hmm. they can start sort of predicting. And this to me looks like Michigan is almost announcing that 171 is going to be their median. Hmm. Yeah, their median, at least last year, was 171. Their 75th percentile <laughs> was 172. So. so it's just so, I mean, it's just so clear what game is being played here. It's amazing that Anonymous thinks that this note means that this is actually holistic. When in fact, it's the exact opposite of that, which is the dean liked your LSAT. So they gave you a compliment on your essays because they want you to go to their school. Well, think about it for a half second. I'm sure these schools know and have tested. They have so many applicants and they can test this so easily. How many people respond when we write a handwritten note in the letter? (laughs) Yeah, I remember they do this versus thousands of times every year. Yeah, You do it one time in your whole lifetime and they do it thousands of times per cycle. Yeah. So you're really, you know, a babe in the woods here when you're negotiating with these. (laughs) I don't know where that came from, but you know, you're, you're like really, um, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're savvy compared to their savvy. It's hard to imagine a bigger mismatch. Mm hmm. I mean, they're, they are definitely experts in this and you have to be a novice because you could only do this once. Yeah. They hire consultants, by the way, and they get to try things out every day. So yeah. <laughs> that's just going to give them a huge leg up. This uh, correspondent continues. I'm waiting to hear from 17 other schools. Wow. Good job to apply broadly. So I'm not packing for Michigan quite yet, but this has certainly helped raise my confidence. Yeah. And your negotiating abilities. Um, less of a babe now, still, yeah. st- still, uh, uh, you know, new to this, but this is good, good, good. On your show, you've mentioned the possibility of leveraging offers while negotiating scholarships. Maybe a handsome Michigan scholarship would say, "Give me bargaining power." If UCLA offered me a less than half scholarship, yeah, for sure it does. How do I approach these negotiations tactfully as they arise? Do I name drop schools and mention specific scholarship offers amounts or would, should I be more vague? No, be honest and direct. There's no need to boast when the facts are the facts. Also, you don't need to do them as they arise. I think you should really only be doing this once or twice once you've kind of decided where you're thinking. Yep. You don't need to ask every single school on your list for more money. You don't even know yet what UCLA is going to offer you. So just you got to take all these things, I think, on a case by case basis. Gather the information, decide what you really want to do with the schools and offers that you have, and then realize what it would take to get you to go to UCLA or whatever and ask for more at that school or whatever other school you're looking at. Right. Just be factual and nice Just say, hey, I would love to go to UCLA um, but I have a offer at Michigan for X dollars. Um, is there anything you can do to help me out here? Yeah. Simple as that. In other news, I'm taking the LSAT on Saturday again. I've scored above 171 on several practice tests, so figured I'd take another crack at it. Best case, with a higher score, I'd have more negotiating power and higher priority if I'm placed on wait lists. Worst case, I throw away $200. Maybe there's a stronger worst case, question mark. Do you think it makes sense to continue with the test Saturday? Absolutely. This is exactly what we were talking about earlier. You have strong scores. You've already applied. Uh, better score isn't going to hurt you. So yeah, I think they probably scores, 
they probably yeah. took it or didn't take it two days ago at this point. But oh yeah, um, yeah. If this is you're in the same situation somewhere in the future, you, there, what's the downside? I don't see any downside. I really do think that the losing two hundred dollars and you know three or four hours of a Saturday is the worst case. Even if you score lower, your offers are not going to get worse. And if you score even one point higher, you now might have a case to to change things. Especially if you go to or above the median at any schools that you're being considered at. Now, all of a sudden, things have changed for them. Yeah. I can't express my gratitude to you and the Demon team highly enough. You guys boosted my score and gave extremely useful admissions advice if I had stuck with some other company. I'm not sure Michigan would put up 150000 for me, let alone admit me. I've recommended the Demon without reservations and trashed other prep companies to several friends embarking on their LSAT journey. All the best, Anonymous. Thanks, okay. Anonymous. Good luck. Yeah. If you want to write us back in and tell us, you know, once you once you do have that UCLA offer and once you I would love to hear, you know, where this ends up going. But usually these things resolve themselves. You send one or two notes and you may or may not get a bump at, at some school and it may or may not make a difference. Uh, but don't like do a whole reign of terror at <laughs> negotiating with 20 different schools. I think you would get that that would not be good. Yeah. A waste of time, if nothing else. Yep. Okay. Carol says, okay, subject, student loan debt and being denied admittance to practice. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Thank you for all you do. I recently came across this article about a student who went to law school, passed the bar, but was denied acceptance by the bar to practice. One more reason why aspiring lawyers should not take on debt. Any chance you can reach out to Adam Minsky, who is a lawyer and exclusive practice. Sorry, and I guess has a, an exclusive practice devoted to student loans. Um, I guess there's a chance, but let's see what this uh, article. It's from Forbes is about. I read it. Did you read it, Ben? You did. I did. Yep. Uh, the headline is court cites student loans as reason to deny bar admission to new lawyer. <laughs> yeah um you can read the whole article we'll have a link to it in the show notes according to the ohio supreme court this person graduated from law school with over three hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt her husband also has significant student loan debt and the court noted that together their combined balance is nearly nine hundred thousand dollars that is fucking crazy that is insane how you even do that is, I guess you just keep racking up different degrees, you know? Oh, I got a bachelor's. I could get another bachelor's or I could get some bullshit master's or some other bullshit master's. And The fact that this is possible is a, a blight on our system. I mean, it, it shouldn't allow you to take out loans beyond a certain point. It would just Obviously. say, hey, you're done. Why it got anywhere close to this is is sad. And... um yeah, I will. Yeah. If Congress w were ever going to actually do something, this is like an easy, that seems like an easy patch. I mean, I don't know yep. if it's Congress that has to do it or if the, you know, U.S. Department of Education could just do it by With executive regs. order yeah. or something. But like this, yeah, this obviously shouldn't be possible. Who knows whether they'll ever, ever be able to close that off. So 
I read. Uh, let me try to try to paraphrase. She's in income based repayment. Yep. But borrowers earning below 150 percent of the poverty level for their family size are not required to make any payments on their federal student student loan debt. So she's like in income based repayment ish. <laughs> she's not paying anything, but she's yeah. not required to pay anything. So I suppose she's in compliance. Nevertheless, the board found that her testimony that she, quote, knew there was no way for 20 years that I would ever be able to pay all that back. <laughs> that quote, they found that quote to be troubling, said the uh, board in the state of Ohio, particularly in light of her statement that she intended to work only part time in legal services once she became a licensed attorney. The board ultimately denied her admission to the Ohio bar finding that she, quote, openly neglected financial responsibilities and knowingly incurred a substantial amount of student loan debt that she admits will probably never be repaid. OK, um, I think this might be shocking to a lot of a lot of uh, listeners who don't understand what the bar is like purportedly doing or why they would do it. Why? Why would the bar maybe be worried about somebody who had a lot of debt? Well, they want, so the idea, I don't know if this is the actual reason for so much effort on the part of the bar to keep people out of the profession, but the idea is to keep the profession ethical, right? That's one idea at least. And if well, someone I think has that's a, the main thing here. That's, yes. Well, it's like why you can't be a spy if you have certain connections or you can't be a, like... It's all it's like you're getting a level of like government clearance almost mm -hmm. it, a compromised lawyer, right? A lawyer with like a serious drug problem or a lawyer with a serious gambling problem, a lawyer who's in debt to the mob, for example, yeah, could then do could you abuse their office in untold ways? Yeah, exactly. So they're worried that, hey. She may not be the most ethical lawyer. She's got serious problems that are going to potentially contribute to that. And, you know, we should keep in mind, and I think this article downplayed this to some degree or more than it should have. She was also denied entrance to the bar because she had initiated 30 cases as plaintiff in 60. her lifetime. 60. Oh, 60. The board I also noted that she had filed nearly 60 lawsuits during the course of her lifetime, many of them frivolous, and she failed to disclose the, this full history to the people who had recommended her for admission to the bar. I mean, this so the, conduct was also yeah. a significant factor in the board denying her admission, and it's unclear if her student debt alone would have been a reason for denial. Yeah. Yeah. We do have to acknowledge that. This is kind of clickbaity here saying, oh, your student loans kept you from being a lawyer. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, your student loans and a whole bunch of scammerish type of behavior where the board, the, the bar was just like, no, you cannot be a lawyer in our system. And it's hard to say, like, if you're, if you're the judge in this case, it's hard to say what exactly your reason is for keeping her out, but you can sit back and say, well, it doesn't matter combined. No, this isn't happening. Yeah, they they did invite her to reapply to the bar in 2024, though. That seems oddly magnanimous. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could just be that they don't they they 
they want there to oh no she has another chance to apply yeah, then they yeah. don't have to they kick it down the kick the can down the road for another year yeah bummer about accumulating nine hundred thousand dollars of student loans like how anybody thinks that's yeah that that definitely should not be possible yep don't know what we can do about it well what we can do about it is continue railing on this podcast to not treat debt so lightly right what do we think yes absolutely i mean because that probably was like undergrad and graduate for two people and they accumulated 900 grand <laughs> they probably took out the recommended amount which is like an astronomical number every time like oh, oh the you default could amount take is out. like the max well because yeah. it's it's a product yeah. i mean it's like those it's like that's a you know like they're gonna make money off of that so of course they want to loan you more money yeah wow all right all right, this next email is from Hodari. The subject is URM versus Prop 209. The email says, if schools in California broadly define what qualifies as a diverse applicant, is the URM boost as meaningful in California as it might be in other states? So Eric provided information on Prop 209, which was a proposition in the 90s, yeah, 1996, that basically made affirmative action illegal in California. Was it just California schools or is it the state cannot discriminate against or grant preferential treatment on the, the basis of race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin in the operation of public employment, public education, and public contracting. Okay. So that's a public schools in California can't use race preferentially. Okay. And then this was, um, on the ballot to be repealed in 2020, but that failed. Okay. So it's still in the books. Right. So, and in the context of the Supreme court of the United States is likely going to disallow consideration of race for college admissions this yep. year, like this term, yep. right? Yep. We yep. have a New York times story about that. I remember when I was in law school, this issue came up and the court decided, I think it was Sandra day O'Connor to wait longer to give, mm. um, like know, we haven't yet race. cured racism. So we're going to yeah. wait a little while longer. Everybody was kind of up in arms said, uh, cause I think she wrote the majority opinion. I'm not sure, but in it, she, she kind of gave this timeline. Like we still need to do it for another 20 years or something like that. And people were like, uh, is it, or is it not constitutional how is it that it's this thing that's like <laughs> gonna expire you know it just but. shows what a joke i mean not, you know i understand that very serious like that it, that it does end up impacting people's lives but it's a joke as far as this like trying to claim that it's some science and yeah and what it really always is you know or that it really is indeed rooted in the constitution <laughs> We should just stop talking about that. Like, why do we even have a constitution? Other countries don't have a constitution. I mean, and it's like, I think that you can work potentially well without one. Because otherwise you're pretending, right? It's like, I mean, who gives a fuck what George Washington thought? Yeah. You care about James Madison or whatever, like the founding fathers and their glorious dreams. Bullshit. Yeah. That's such bullshit. We're, we live in 2023. We should just make it good for ourselves now. It's an age-old question, right? Who decides? How do they decide? It's 
how much do you rely on precedent? Because still those other countries rely on precedent to some degree, but again, that's just for argumentation. So how much are they being fake too, right? Like, oh, well, this is this is the way it's been done and this is the way we should do it versus when they want to change it and then they say otherwise, so. The people know, who, who wrote that document were like virtually poor. They were like sick. Their teeth were falling out of their head. They had, they were like writing by candlelight with a fucking quill pen. They were like, they don't, that's not the people that should be making our decisions anyway. Anyway, the whole thing of like what's constitutional and what's not constitutional is always just, uh, it's, it strikes me as ridiculous. Um, okay, so all of this <laughs> brings up something that I had never seen before, which was these LSD.law charts. We have looked at these charts on, this, on the show in the past. Yep. Eric pointed out that there is a, where is this now? Oh, under miscellaneous. So this is super interesting. Schools on, uh, sorry, school pages on LSD.law display a URM LSAT differential and URM GPA differential under miscellaneous, which is below the decision date versus LSAT chart on the right. And we have a link to this. So Ben, are you looking now at these charts? Yep. So looking at Yale Law School, which is obviously perpetual, you know, number one ranked law school. Yep. Yeah. They have a URM LSAT differential of 3.16 LSAT points. And what I guess that means, I mean, maybe we need to investigate, like get definition of that or where you're, I guess this is self-identified. Yeah. Cause this is applicant data, right? This is self-reported. Yep. All this is self-reported applicant data, yep. but it looks like they've got a lot of data. It looks pretty, pretty legit. Yeah. So people who self-identify as URM, and this is going to be of the people who were admitted, yep, had 3.16 LSAT points and half a tenth of a percent, 0.05 GPA points lower than did the people who did not identify themselves as URM. The question here then, because the question is specifically about California, and this is really interesting because we can now look at California schools and we can see whether California schools give a similar LSAT preference and GPA preference to their URM applicants, at least according to this self student reported data. Which is interesting, right? Because in theory, there shouldn't be. At Berkeley, it's even bigger than Yale. Berkeley is negative three point or 3.57 points. So, so three and a half points, not just two and a half points or whatever it was, three and a half points and 0.06 GPA points. So slightly more than Yale. And, and now they are doing, you know, what they call a whole list They're, to get around Prop 209. Law schools started all the law schools in California started doing, oh, we do a holistic. No, we, we don't. We're not giving a preference to race, but we might give a preference to all of the other things that are adjacent to race. Hmm. Right. Socioeconomic status, first generation status, um, just lots of different things that they can give preference for where they're not explicitly preferencing race, but they're preferencing race in other ways. Like they're they're trying to build a diverse class, but they're saying, oh, no, we're bringing this person on. You know, we, we consider every reason. Yeah. Look, as long as they consider every applicant holistically, then the fact that they still do look at race, they say, oh, no, but we're not. We, we know what their race is, but we're not. We didn't make that decision on the basis of race. We made we it on the basis never. of something else. Nope. Yeah. 
this is the kind of data, though, that like if if they ever, you know, I wonder if this ends up in the court cases eventually, right, to settle this where it's like, well, you say you're not explicitly preferencing based on race, but you're allowing URM applicants or ad you're admitting URM applicants with 3.57 fewer LSAT points. So you are, in fact, then preferencing applicants based on their race. Yeah. Difference between intent and reality. What's yeah. the law care about? That's the question. And that I'm sure will be endlessly litigated. Let's see. That was just <laughs> Berkeley. Um, I want to check my alma mater, University of California, Hastings. Oops, sorry. N renamed UC Law. That's what they're really. The reason why they got that clunky UC name, right? Law well, San Francisco. Right? I've seen now pictures of them, right? The, yep. the, the, the students were back in school this year or this uh, for this semester and the alumni associate, you know, they just keep emailing out and they've got all these banners now and the band, it's like a pennant, like a mm. football team. And mm. it just says UC law <laughs> doesn't even say San Francisco, just UC uh. law. So that's what they're trying to brand themselves is UC uh, law. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, their differential, oh, only 1.23 points at Hastings uh, of LSAT and 0.01 of GPA. That is interesting. Okay. Other California schools that people might care about. UCLA, 3.21 LSAT points, 0.08 GPA. So pretty big difference there. I, I wonder, would you, would you expect that it would be higher or lower at higher ranked schools? The differential? Uh-huh. Well, Berkeley was pretty high. I guess I would expect it to be... Higher, I don't know. I, I I feel like they're trying to do that, but maybe you see Davis not. is three points. I'm wondering now why Hastings is so low. Stanford is less than one LSAT point, point nine five. Wow, on the LSAT differential, point oh six on the GPA. Harvard, whoa, four point two two LSAT points, point oh eight on the GPA. Okay, what else we got? Yeah. So this is an exit survey. Someone was leaving and they said, Hey, sometimes the logical reasoning explanations were insufficient. To be fair, almost all of them were great, but there were a handful with no prediction intro text before the explainer started to eliminate answer choices. Sometimes the question called for that approach. Other times it left me feeling like the explainer did what you tell us not to do. Eliminate answer choices before making predictions. Just a small, tiny nitpick. Otherwise, perfect service. Thanks a lot for y'all's help improving my score. Okay. Yeah. So Why? I <laughs> I wanted to put this on the <laughs> on the agenda because yep. I, I wanted to just point out that um, Ben and I read all of these. We're we're yeah. constantly working on the demon to make it better. But I but I also wanted to say that this what this student is pointing out is an old explanation that will definitely be. Uh, replaced by new explanations and all this student needed to do there was to just hit the ask button and our whole team of tutors and writers would have gotten back on that one and fixed it where did those partial explanations come from ben like emails that you had sent your students or something well that's part of them some of them too i think maybe came from your book where there wasn't like there was a lot of discussion but it wasn't about predicting it was about something else maybe um <laughs> oh interesting yeah okay 
But yeah, yeah a long time ago, I created what happened was the daunting task of trying to write explanations for 9,000 questions <laughs> hit me when I was responding to emails from people, right? People in my class would email me and say, hey, can you explain answer choice B in this question? And I would, and I said, it'd be such a waste to send this email off to this person and yep. never let anyone else see that explanation. So I grabbed it and started putting it into a Microsoft Word doc. This was pre-Google doc. <laughs> and then when the demon was launched, it's like, well, the, these aren't great, but they're better than nothing because at least I'm explaining a question that someone had at some point in the past. So yeah. put this into the demon and some of those still haven't been cleared out, but I think the vast majority of them have. I'm glad you put this on the show. I ended up forwarding this exit survey to uh, the ask team, Abigail, and said, hey, I think you guys are already doing this. Just just a reminder, you know, just a yeah. thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's why I wanted to put it on the agenda was to just say like, this is an issue for me. It was, I had a Google, um, I had a Google doc or I mm -hmm. think it was just in my Gmail. And then I made a Google doc. What I would do when people would ask me a question is I would write a full explanation for that question. Yeah. And, and then I would send it out to the whole class. Like, Hey, I think you guys might all benefit from this. So I started saving those explanations and I had a just ginormous Google doc. Like you couldn't even scroll it. You know, it was yep, just so yeah. long. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> and, and, uh, then I created my book, uh, the logical reasoning encyclopedia out of all of those explanations and additional explanations. Point is we, Ben and I have, have put all of our resources together and some of these explanations are still slightly incomplete, but as, um, anonymous here points out to be fair, almost all of them are, are pretty damn good. And the few that aren't, uh, we will definitely be making those better for posterity. So thanks and for help us. pointing it yeah. out. Oh yeah, no, you yeah. help us so much when you tell us the things that are wrong with the demon. 90%, 95% of these exit surveys are like no notes, you know, yep. like perfect. Thank you so much. It's like yeah. really like amazing actually how good most of them are. And, but it's like the bad ones or the ones that, that point out something that we might be able to fix. Um, we're all over those because they're yeah. like so helpful. Yep. Yeah, for sure. All right. Anyway, what's this email from Sam? It says, what should I do to get ready for law school? Hey guys, I'm a former demon user who did well on the LSAT 140 to 168 official. Nice. I'm currently entertaining multiple full ride offers and I and I owe that to your guys's methods. Do you guys have any recommendations for what I should be doing between now and when law school starts? Any books, writing, typing courses? Thanks for all you do, Sam. <laughs> Eric added a list of book recommendations that we apparently already have in the demon. Uh, this is an interesting first book recommendation for people who have been admitted and are gearing up for law school. The first one is don't go to law school unless <laughs> I guess it's still safe. It's still time to, there's still time to save yourself from the misery known as law school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, since, uh, Sam is entertaining multiple full rides th that there's, uh, maybe a little bit less reason to read that book, but I do think you yeah. should beef that's not going to help you that much with law school but it's worth reading it just for perspective it's a classic in the genre i guess yeah i mean maybe it would it would just help you understand the whole game that you're getting involved in and make you more confident in your decision and thus better use it 
because you know how much it could be wasted. Here's another one, getting a running start. I don't, I've never heard of that one. And then getting to maybe how to excel on law school exams. That's the one I read my second year in law school, and it was extraordinarily helpful for me. I mean, that shows how old it is, too. Is it still helpful? Probably. I mean, law school hasn't changed a whole lot, but maybe there are other books recommended if you search for that one that are newer. I, I don't know. What about other stuff besides books? What what else? What are you going to do to prepare yourself? What What do you do to 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 really start law school on the right foot? I, I would check out. Remember when we had Allison Monahan on the show? Yep. I think I I would probably check out their start law school right class. Okay. Let me see if I can find a little bit about that. Yeah, lawschooltoolbox.com has a course called Start Law School Right. I don't think it's too expensive. Lee and Allison are both um, bar tutors and law school tutors. And I just trust that they're not full of shit. So if you really want to get a head start, I think I would do that. Typing class, Ben, what do you think about that? Nah. I don't. So the, the thing I keep thinking about when it comes to typing, in part because my kids are learning it right now, is that learning how to type well is a a necessary skill. Um, yeah. I was watching this documentary the other day and I saw the person in the documentary was pecking and I was like, oh my gosh, that is yeah. not the way you want to, you want to live your life. But the real, the reality is, is that the slowest thing or the thing that's going to slow you down in your writing is your own thoughts. You're going to get fast enough at typing to the point where that's not the, the thing holding you back. So getting astronomically faster at typing does not seem like a, a valuable skill. It's kind of, and when I was in law school, they still allowed you to take exams in a blue book. If you wanted, I bet that that's probably still the case that you have the option to do it on a laptop or option to write it hand with on by hand. And they claimed that there was no difference in grades between those two cohorts. So could be that the people who were writing it by hand were way smarter and they were disadvantaged by writing it by hand, but it all came out in the wash because they're just better at school, better prepared or whatever. Hmm, um, I guess so. I mean, or it could be that writing by hand just didn't hurt those people. Yeah. I, I would still hope that someone, if someone is preferring to write by hand though, I don't know if you're ready for the profession you're going into. Like you, you gotta, you gotta know how to type or at least dictate, I guess. I mean, dictation's getting better and better, but that seems odd yeah, lawyers don't dictated. like do a hundred percent of their shit on the phone, right? Like lawyers yeah. are on the lawyers are on a keyboard. Lawyers are touch typing. Yeah, and you're editing. I don't know. Uh, typing is something I think you need to learn how to do if you don't know already. That's I've said it a million times on the show. I do think that touch typing, you know, is probably the most valuable thing I ever learned in school at, at any level. Studying typing was hugely valuable. So if you're saying that you don't right now know how to type, then yeah, I could see how <laughs> taking that course could be really useful. Hey, speaking of typing, um, I went into my son's bedroom the other day and I was assuming that he'd be video gaming or something like that. And no, he was type practicing typing, but he wasn't just practicing typing. He was practicing, I think it's called Cormac. Anyways, okay. it's a different keyboard layout that's more efficient. And then oh, he was boy. like showing me all the, you can like see these heat maps of where people type. 
And he's, wow. Yeah. He's learning it. I was like, he's like, you should learn it too. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about where I'm at, but you know, I'll look at it. Like, I mean, his motivation just to figure this out on his own. I, I just was, yeah, I was impressed. So yeah. Kids just have unlimited time, I guess. Um, <laughs> what about voice? Do you think that voice will eventually just take it over though? Well, I mean, we can talk about voice. We could also talk about chat GPT, right? Really, these kinds of tools are going to end up doing a lot of the initial drafting, I think. Okay. I don't know anything about chat GPT. Do you want to tell me about that? Oh, yeah. You should definitely check it out. It's a chat bot that is powered by all the internet up to about 2021. Um, that's just a, their own little testing right now. I'm sure it will be more current in the coming months or year, but you can tell it anything and it will do it for you. If we're talking about text. So you can, Kyle, um, my second son, he tested it out by saying, Hey, he had just written an English paper on some book. Uh, I can't remember which one it was now. Oh, of mice and men. And he, he told it to write an essay about on mice of men in five paragraphs uh, pointing out three things that have to do with the American dream. It wrote the essay in like two minutes. I mean, this or a minute, it's quick. And it covered the exact same three points that Kyle had come up with for his essay. What? So, uh, yeah, no, you can, you can tell it to do pretty much anything and I will use it. I'm, I use it all the time now. Like I, I have it, if I'm reading a book and the book has, so obviously some key points. I'll just go to chat GPT and I'll say, Hey, what were the, the five points of this book? It will list them out. And then you can tell it, you can, Hey, expand on the second point. You can just, it's natural language. You just tell it to do whatever you want. Apparently coders are now using it to, or like malicious coders are telling it, Hey, code this code for me in this language. And I want it to do this <laughs> and it will just write a virus to destroy the yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Uh, I mean, it's, it's got, it, it's knowledge base is the, is the entire internet or the entire accessible internet to 2021. Um, and so it's um, what people are talking about right now too, is it's inherent biases and so forth. I mean, it's basically just a human <laughs> put into a computer. It's, it's striking how uh, naturally it talks with you and it, and it continues its conversation. It's not like a dummy in which you ask it another question and it forgets what it just told you. It actually takes everything it just told you and continues to build on it. So you don't need to, to explicitly lay out your question every time. You're just chatting back and forth with it and it builds on it. You should try it. Yeah. Where, where do I go to try it? Uh, just Google chat GPT um, or OpenAI. That's the company so, that created it, which was founded in part by Musk. Is it at openai.com? Yes. Mm -hmm. Safari can't open page. Uh, they have so much traffic right now, it's possible that they're down. They go down every now and then. Wow. Okay. Strange times we're living in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you, Sam, for writing in. Good luck in law school. Uh, you're not paying for it, so it sounds like you're going to be uh, in good shape. We have an email from Allo. Yeah, hello. Greetings. I'm a new listener and already I am less stressed about the whole application process. However, I've been out of school for four years and I want to go back now. 
but I know I won't get a scholarship as things stand. I'm not sure if waiting and retaking the LSAT would give me much more of an advantage. Currently, my LSAT is a is 150 and my undergrad GPA was 3.49. Should I retake the test for a higher score and wait another application cycle? Any and all advice is greatly welcome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you won't get a scholarship as things stand with a 150, but you can improve your score dramatically and be in a totally different space within the next year. Yeah, as as we discussed at the top of the show, most applications are already in. You have so many chances to take the test. The LSAT is the most important component. I mean, your undergraduate GPA is what it is. You can't do anything about that. But your LSAT, you can do a lot about that. You can improve that by 10, 20 points. 150 is not a score that you should be applying with ever. Forget about what point in the cycle you're you're in. 150 is just that's not the best you can do. Yep. So you should be studying now to take the test many times between now potentially and the beginning of the next application cycle. Yeah. You, you should be applying in September for next September. Apply a full year in advance, but you've got you get right now. Now is the time to be grinding it out because you might be able to take it a couple times before the reset. And maybe a couple more times after the reset, you still, as far as we know, have four more chances at it. Yep. Cool. Yeah, good luck. Thanks for running in. All right. So Eric is asking us if we want to do a rapid fire for the last few admissions updates. And then there'll be a a, a longer email at the end. You ready to take these rapid yeah, let's fire? Yeah, do it. Yep. All right. So Go for it. Charlie says, hi, Ben and Nathan. Thank you both for the demon and your podcast, which together helped bring me from 155 to 172. I applied broadly and have already received multiple full rides from top schools. And I also got into Harvard the other day. <laughs> I like that. No other service out there beats you guys. Halo top is no good. Charlie. Wow. That's wow. a blast from a few years ago when uh, we were shitting on Halo top. Thank God that is now out of favor. You never see that around anywhere anymore. No, no. Or not places I go. Well, Charlie, you must have been listening to, yeah, some seriously old episodes. Okay. Yeah, deep cuts. Yep. You got the this next one one's from, from Bella. Yeah, from Bella. I wanted to reach out to you guys to thank you for all the excellent studying tips for the LSAT. I was able to go from a 142 to a 162 in just five months with LSAT Demon. My dream school is St. John's, and I just heard back from them today informing, that I, informing me that I'm accepted with a full scholarship exclamation point. There is more to come too. exclamation point, exclamation point. Thank you guys so much for your studying platform and all the great advice exclamation point. I wouldn't have been able to achieve this without LSAT demon exclamation point. Wow. <laughs> Glad we could help you, Bella. Cool. That's amazing, Bella. Good job. Glad you're excited. Next one is from Koi. It says, since we last spoke, I scored a 177 on the October LSAT and I was admitted to Harvard and Yale exclamation point. I started studying for the LSAT in June 2021. I scored a 161 diagnostic and I began exclusively using the demon to study in December of 2021. Then a whole lot of other stuff that sorry we had to cut out. It was just uh, Koi summing up um, things that he did to be successful. And all of these things are in line with what we say. Thanks, Koi. You clearly drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Next one. Yep. 
Uh, subject, not going to law school. Thank you. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm not going to law school. I am confident that this is an excellent career decision. I couldn't have arrived here without you and your team. Thank you so much. You've changed my life. I truly appreciate the demon and all of the content you've created to support it. If you're interested, here is an overview of my law school journey. I applied to law school in 2015. I was accepted to a regional school with a full tuition scholarship. I didn't go because I became pregnant and the summer before classes started. Instead, I worked remotely as a contractor until my daughter was 18 months old. I continued to network with legal professionals in Chicago. A friend of mine helped me to secure a paralegal position at a top-ranked law firm. I didn't want to further delay my law school plans, but I felt as though I couldn't turn down a big law opportunity. After working at the firm for a couple of years, I was offered an in-house role as a premier hedge, at a premier hedge fund. The in-house position was much less intense. I worked closer to 40 hours a week instead of the 60 plus hours a week I had been working at the firm. Keep in mind, that's just a paralegal. I had enough time to apply to law school again. I was accepted to the same regional program with a partial scholarship. This felt like a huge injustice, but I was going to go anyway. At this point, I had enough savings to avoid significant debt. It was a part-time program, so I was going to continue to pick up contract work while in school. I paid my seat deposit and enrolled in courses. I started listening to the Thinking LSAT podcast in 2020 after I read an Amazon review for a prep book that I said that said the book is fine, but the demon is better. As I considered how I was going to finance my first year of law school, your central lesson continued to float around in my mind. Don't pay for law school. I am not from a wealthy family. I grew up in rural Iowa. I was a Pell Grant recipient. I received full tuition scholarships to finance my bachelor's and my master's degrees. No amount of money seems small to me. Wow. Think about that contrast to that couple that had the $900,000 in debt. It's just such a different mentality. Yeah. Anyways, I me- I emailed you to ask for advice on my situation. Nathan responded and directed me to the school's 509 report. He also reassured me that schools give zero shits whether you've applied before. It's dollars for points, nothing more. (laughs) That might be a little extreme, but I I do think that that's true in broad strokes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, they, why would they care whether you've applied before? That's obvious. And if, if you're applying with a better LSAT, then you're just, you're just not the same candidate anymore. Yeah. I don't know if I'm using this term correctly, but it's like a heuristic. It's it's a simplification, right? That I think is very valuable if it's not even if ten thousand dollars in LSAT point. Yeah. I think that's what it's worth in law school admissions. Ten thousand dollars per LSAT point. Because if you get 10 more LSAT points, you can go from no offer to a hundred thousand dollar offer easily. Yeah. She continues, I declined my admission to law school a second time and began studying with the demon again. I accepted a full-time, 100% remote position at a mid-sized firm that gives me amazing flexibility to work basically any hours I want as long as I meet my deadlines. The flexibility has allowed me to spend more time with my daughter, participate in 5K charity runs, cook my own food, and garden. I really love gardening. There is something absolutely magical about biting into a tomato that you have known since it was a seed. I understand what it means to go hard. I know what it feels like to pursue something intensely. I just don't want to do it. I had this realization when I attempted to take a proctored LSAT last weekend. 
There was a small technical issue which Brittany resolved. Despite Brittany's prompt and helpful response, I felt enraged by the situation. I took a moment to meditate and reflect. I realized that the source of my rage was my lack of desire to spend my Saturday afternoon in front of my computer instead of playing outside. I have a career that I like. If I want to make more money, I can always increase my income by picking up extra work from my lawyer friends. Maybe I'll start my own business someday. Simply put, you helped me to slow down and approach the decision to go to law school rationally. When I emerged from the haze of fast-paced, high-pressure work, I saw a lot of beauty in the world that I wasn't free to experience before. This helped me realize that law school isn't for me. I'm at peace with my life as it is. Please keep doing what you do. Also, give Brittany a raise. <laughs> with gratitude, Krista. Brittany is the best. Um Thank you, Krista, for writing in with all of that. It seems like you're making an excellent decision, I, especially when people, you know, have sometimes people are like, well, I already do work full time remote, make a good living and then still decide to go to law school. Yeah, I guess it's you know, that's your that's your journey. But I think many people are going to maybe end up happier by making Krista's decision here to just say, you know, I've actually got it really good right now. I have a daughter and a life and hobbies and I don't, I just don't need to go grind it out in this, uh, super intense profession. Yeah. You have one life, live it the best way you can. That might be in law school and that might be after law school as a lawyer, but for a lot of people that is not the case. And I, I thought this was interesting too. She said she was enraged, right? And then she meditated on that. I think our negative emotions are wake up calls, right? They're like, Hey, something's wrong. Figure it out. Maybe you need to double down and work harder and keep going at the LSAT. That doesn't necessarily mean every time you have a negative feeling, you've got to stop what you're doing, but why, why are you having that negative feeling? Think about it. Yeah. And when you're enraged, when you're constantly enraged along some path or another, probably indicates that that's not a great path for you. Yep. I was and like having okay. <laughs> anger management problems when I was in law school. I mean, I was just like, things were so, so infuriating to me. I was so pissed off at the professors and so pissed off at the, the school about things. And it was just like, I was miserable. I wasn't yeah. happy there. Yeah. And I knew halfway through that I wasn't ever going to practice law. I wish I would have realized all that, you know, sooner in the process. Yeah. But yeah, if if the, if you're having that experience a lot, then you you should contemplate <laughs> meditate on it a little bit and see if you can figure out like exactly what's going on there. It could be that this is just not not the right path for you. Yeah. Thanks for writing in, Krista. It's great to hear. If any yep. of you uh, have similar stories, either succeeding on the test and getting in for free or at least getting a huge scholarship or just deciding to quit this whole journey, let us know. Also, come to our free shit on Thursday, January 26th at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, Matt will be teaching a circle slash boot camp. That's free. You can go to uh, lsatdemon.com forward slash classes. You can create a demon account if you don't have one for free. And then you can sign up for Matt's class on the 26th. Also, Nathan has a free class every other Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. 
Oh, okay. So you're going to do Matt's, is it Matt's class and then yours right after? Oh, or is this a different day? I guess it's a different day. That's Thursday, February 9th. You're going to be talking about why you don't need an LSAT tutor. I love it. Yep. I got lots of reasons why you probably don't need an LSAT tutor. Tutor, If you're out there working privately with a one-on-one -on -one tutor, odds are you can do better. So we'll talk about it on Thursday, February 9th. Odds are you're wasting your, your time and your money, which sucks, right? It's an expensive venture. That, that includes those of you who are using one of our LSAT demon tutors, but you're not also using the LSAT demon. Yeah. That's, I want to talk to you too, because I think you're wasting money on our tutors if you're not like making yep. the most of these amazing online resources. Yeah. Anyway, Thursday, February 9. Yep. You can sign for up for that and all of Nathan's free classes at lsat.link forward slash Nathan. Be LSAT famous. Please ask us questions or share news with us at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 386 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.